this PowerPoint so that, uh, and if there are burning questions, uh, please raise your hand as we're going through this thing because there's a lot of material that we want to cover. Make good use of our time. Father, we are so grateful uh, for the churches represented in this room. More than that, we're represented. We are grateful uh, for your son who hung on that cross so that we could experience forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us as we think together now how to uh, make good use of the resources each one of these churches have, Lord, to see the great commission accomplished. Uh, guide our thinking, we pray. Uh, help us to think thoughts after you and to use this time wisely. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm Brad Buser. Uh, and I will be, uh, we, my wife and I, we served in Papua New Guinea for a little over 20 years among the Teddy people, uh, did a translation, planted a church, uh, came back, uh, my church in San Diego, uh, the guy who's playing the piano, uh, Nathan, who is now the missions pastor at our church. Uh, anyway, the church asked my wife and I, myself, uh, to be the missions uh, pastor at the church. So served 10 years there until uh, and time commitments at Radius came to be such that, uh, yeah, had to transition out of that. Uh, still attend there. I've been, I got saved in that church. Uh, understand the place of the local church. Uh, still attend there every Sunday when I'm on the road. And uh, just have been a joy to see that church's missions committee come from through a lot of different stages. Okay. Uh, so as we talk about ideas for local churches, one of the things I think it's need to uh, be said, important to be said, uh, if a church is uh, if a church is in a healthy spot, uh, th this stuff can really you can make a lot of progress quickly. Uh, there, every church has a bit of unhealth in it. Okay, so don't hold too bright a light on your church and say we can't go forward in missions because we've got an issue here and an issue there. If dysfunction is really throughout the church, it might not be a time in the season of the life of that particular church to really put a focus on missions. But don't get too uh, critical. Every church has things that need to be addressed, but we still need to take the Great Commission seriously. So uh, don't, again, uh, get discouraged about your church. Uh, we have uh, we typically have 50 to 60 students at Radius. I'd say probably two-thirds of them come from churches that are really well along, maybe continuing to grow, uh, but it is very... Uh, somewhat discouraging for about a third of our students as they come down there and they realize, I love my church, but they don't know how to send me well. And uh, so anyway, it, it, hopefully these minutes here can begin to address some of that. Uh, we talked in the little preamble, I think it was, okay, why a missions committee? Uh, it is common when churches are first getting into missions that the missions, uh, that the senior pastor will oversee pretty much all the departments there. And I know in certain times that has to be the case. Uh, but you have to look down the road. You really do. And hopefully your church will have such a missions development that you can no longer do that and actually do justice to it. And the reality is, uh, guys, even as the person who is tasked, whether he's full-time, lady, whatever like that, uh, it takes a lot of reading. You have got to get up to speed on the missions world. The missions world, the missions landscape is nothing like it was 25 years ago. And uh, you'll be shocked, and we'll get into this a little bit. Uh, and it's going to take some real study uh, you know, for you to get up to speed. Uh, one of the, well, just a couple of issues here. Hopefully your church will have too many sent out for the existing leadership to handle all your missionaries. Okay, You'll have a, a senior pastor, elder board, however your church structures its leadership, and you'll have a, a missions committee. It's nice when an elder uh, can chair that missions committee, someone that the senior pastor has confidence in. Uh, but really, those are that's going to be a whole separate board because... Uh, and our church is 350, 400 people. We have about 40 people sent out as career missionaries from our church, and there's no way the church overseers could actually oversee the missions endeavors. They have to have a lot of confidence in the missions committee. That's a growing thing. It starts with the planting that idea, looking for that person who could be the, the chairman, whether you call a missions pastor or not. Missionary care groups would do well to have similar policies guiding the church's missionaries. I, talk, I'm, I just quickly toss the word policies in there. Uh, we'll get to that, but policies are important. When I came in board as a missions pastor of my church, we kind of had in, within our DNA, uh, which was created back in the 70s, a, a pretty good focus on unreached language groups. It was really weird. We had a, a youth pastor that just really focused on that, and so nobody ever questioned it. Uh, when I came back in the year 1999, uh, there was so much, the explosion of missionary uh, societies, okay, uh, from maybe 150 went out. Went out. Uh, at that time, there were over 1,000 missionary societies, okay? Uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry's, uh, one, one husband, one wife, you know, uh, just real niche things, real creative things, real avant-garde things, okay? And you could just get lost. And I had all the, San Diego's a big college town. We were known as a missions church, and I had all these people coming to my office door uh, looking for support. 
And uh, I, I've got this passion to do this. I've got this passion to do this. And why won't you support this? Why won't you support this? And, and realizing we can no longer support like that. And so we had, I was tasked with coming up with uh, missions policies that would guide our church. Um, and so we came up with two sets of policies. One was, what does our church, Claremont Emanuel Baptist, what do we see as overarchingly, you know, commanded to accomplish. And, and so what we took on is a great commission. Uh, we want to see the gospel penetrate every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we're not against other things, but we, and we support orphanages. We support house-building endeavors in Mexico, but those are ministries of our church. For you to wear the title missionary from our church, you are directly or very closely directly, like MAF pilots like that, uh, school teachers in boarding schools, uh, they are very directly associated with those who are planting churches in pioneer language situations. Uh, if you're looking to come to our church and get support because you want to work in Japan, God bless you, but you're going to strike out. Okay, uh, We just don't have enough money uh, to support that type of stuff. We're very committed to seeing the Great Commission accomplished. Um, those are the pol so those are the policies that guide us. This is what we're doing. We're about the Great Commission, and uh, these are the the other uh, policies are these are the type of missionaries. These are the type of people we're supporting. They're high functioning people. They can't. It's not like they can't hold down a job in San Diego. They're not making a, a, a good living in San Diego. Uh, they're not running from something. They're not unemployed. Uh, man, we want people that are doing it well in San Diego, and uh, they have a track record in our church. Um, and they're committed to our church. They know our church is soft underbelly with all its issues, and they still love it. Uh, they're not, you know, slinging shots from the cheap seats all the time. Uh, those are the type of guys. Well, uh, learning what is going on uh, in missions takes time. This is another reason for the missions committee. Uh, uh, yes, we expect the missions committee at our church uh, to serve up to the senior pastor. Uh, what do you call it? The, the, the findings of what is happening. Uh, it is not on the senior pastor to look into every organization uh, that our missionaries want to go out with. That's the missions committee's job to do, to vet those organizations. So uh, he doesn't have time for that. One of the things when I came on board as missions uh, pastor there, I lobbied and uh, the, the leadership of the church could see it was a good move uh, that there is no turnover in the missions committee. Uh, we don't have a three-year term or a four-year term or a six-year term. We want the people on the missions committee to be so well-educated as to our missionaries, the agencies, and the issues out there that to lose them is just too valuable. So if you're thinking of starting a missions committee, you might want to consider that. Man, don't, don't have the never-ending turnover. That makes sense on other levels. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I picked people to be on the missions committee. We had a legacy missions committee, and in time they, they moved off of the committee because uh, I was picking younger people. One of the challenges of becoming a mission-sending church is your guys that are in their 20s or early 30s, really the prime years to step forward to do this thing, they need to have people on the missions committee they can relate to. Uh, too often missions committees are made up of retirees. Okay, and uh, I get it. They've got more time, uh, but you're going to have a difficult time really having uh, people in the college career group approaching them. Is it anathema to have a couple retirees? Of course not. But too often that is the sum total of the missions committee. So be careful of that. Uh, again, I'll say it again. Uh, you'll, they are going to have to take the time, make the time to read carefully, to get up to speed on missiology. Uh, we, and I'm not even getting into the, the theological underpinnings of the people that you send out. That's, I think pastoral staffs can vet that. Hopefully they are vetting that. Um, but the missiological sea changes that have happened in missions uh, are, are gigantic. And again, we'll talk more about that. Okay, uh, how do you form a healthy missions committee? What do you do with experienced ex-missionaries who volunteer? Uh, that can be a that can be a, a big win, big loss, uh, because if they have used some of the current methods overseas and they've got great stories to tell, they are going to want to quietly nudge that onto your missions program too. So you better know how to. Somebody on the missions committee or in the senior leadership level needs to vet them missiologically. Um, one of the things as we have had various staff members come down to Radius over the years, uh, nobody has a perfect resume. Uh, we had a, uh, one brother, and he would speak very openly about, man, <laughs> I love this guy deeply, but every time he got to the field, he was so gifted, he was called to serve in field leadership, field leadership, field leadership. So he never actually got to plant a church. And here he is teaching church planning. And, uh, and, and so that lack of credibility uh, was there, but you know, he was such a big enough individual, he owned it. I would not have done that again. So if a person doesn't have a perfect track record, that's okay, but can they own it? 
Can they own it? Nobody does it perfectly, uh, and that's okay. We're not looking for perfection. But don't be quietly holding on to what you did overseas as becoming the standard. Uh, what to do with too many retirees who have time on their hand? I think we kind of already addressed that a little bit there. Uh, what, to do, what to do with those who won't think strategically? And there are people, uh, God bless them, they are wonderful saints. Uh, they have a big heart for missions, but they will not be, um, what do you want to call it, um, analytical. Uh, they, they see this is a wonderful couple, but they, they're a wonderful couple, but they're a wonderful couple, they're, and their heart goes out to that wonderful couple, and uh, they can't say the hard thing. Uh, when I came on board at my church, uh, the senior pastor actually uh, told me that she said, Brad, you're the bad cop, and I'm the good cop. When people come to our church uh, for, with ideas and things they want to do, it's your job to vet them. And if they're a member of our church, it's your job to let them down slowly. And then when they get all hurt and upset at you, they come to me, and I'm the one they cry to. Okay? So just understand your role, Brad. Okay? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> when we finally came up with the policies that would guide our church, the giving to missions exploded. Because finally the church members who had this weird feeling like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't work in my world, in the business world, in the real world. But, you know, that guy wouldn't do well at all in, in the world I live in. But we're, we're supporting him as a church. And so there's this weird uncomfortableness that many people in the church have about their missions program. I was telling my brother here, uh, last year my wife and I uh, went to four different churches over five different Sundays. And uh, each, at each of those uh, churches, a senior pastor pulled me aside. He says, I love what you're talking about, but I have no idea what my, missions, what my missionaries are really doing. Just this deep ambivalence. You know, they di didn't really know. And one of the things that has occurred within the missions world is terms that have historically been defined in one way are now defined differently. And you need to be ready to ask awkward questions. When you say discipleship, what are you talking about? When you say evangelism, what are you talking about? When you say church, what are you talking about? Uh, the, the definition of church has shifted so much that now it is where two or three are gathered together. Well, that's, that's a great start. That's not a church. There's no leadership there. Okay, And um, we have to go back to the fullest New Testament definition of what is a local church. And uh, so, again, uh, these are things, uh, and, and if we have too many people on the committee, it's nice to have a, a warm, bleeding heart on there, and you want, you want an amalgam, but you don't want that running the show, okay, to where they're a nice couple and they can't get past that. So, again, uh, obviously a benefit to have uh, some experienced people on your committee. Be careful, though. Uh, we already talked about that. Um, yeah. Everything is awesome, is not helpful. And what I mean by that is just sending people overseas, uh, just only focus. And of course, we want to see the good they're doing, but we don't want to be so myopic and rose-colored glasses that we can't see uh, the weaknesses of our missionaries. And this is another topic we're getting into. Let me stop. Any questions? Sir? Yeah, on that uh, defining terms, is that with just your board, or did you do that for the whole church? Uh, the missions board definitely needs to have defined terms, okay? Uh, when I, uh, again, when uh, we came up with these policies, I was given two Sundays uh, to preach through these policies to the church. This is why we are embracing this. We're not against that, but our focus is this, and we went through the Great Commission. This is what we're about. This is Jesus' last orders. Next Sunday, these are the type of people. Other people aren't second-class saints, okay? Again, to put that forward to the whole church, we were, not, we were not trying to educate them with the whole panoramic view of what is going on missiologically. But we just wanted to know this is where your church is going, and we're going to be pretty deliberate about where your monies are going. That's when we saw the giving to the church really explode to the missions aspect. Any other questions? Okay. All right. Yeah, authority of the local church versus uh, missionary autonomy. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of perspectives class? Okay, so they introduced this term into the missions world. It was a mathematical term, uh, modality, sodality. And uh, depending on how you uh, define that, there were actual people that uh, defined that such that uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they went off on their first missionary journey, they, were, they, they left the authority of the local church. Okay, um, people are pretty quiet when they think like that because that's not universally held to, and not many local churches see it like that. Okay, they, they know that's kind of a poke in the eye. But again, uh, that has been there, and so some churches have pushed back on that and, and ex exercising extreme authority over the church. They do have extreme authority, 
But uh, you're going to have to figure out your style as a church. Are you going to have your missionaries writing reports four times a year? And and I would, to be honest with you, on the field, things don't change that much over the course of three months. Uh, But you you do want to be up to speed on what your missionaries are doing. Delegation is wise. When you guys have people overseas, uh, do the best you can. Somebody on that missions committee, and I, I kind of slid through this too quickly earlier, uh, every missionary sent out from our church has a sending group, okay? Uh, that's different than the missions committee. Uh, they have a group of three or four or five couples, and they're responsible for that particular couple on the field, okay? Somebody on that sending group needs to get to know the local leadership over that missionary. Uh, every, uh, every sending agency has issues, but that being said, uh, man, I would still uh, widely encourage you guys to use uh, sending organizations with the flaws, with the warts, with all the downsides. Uh, yeah, because you're going to have people on the field uh, with those sending organizations that have been there 10, 15 years. And when your new missionary gets there and he's hitting the panic button after 12 months because there's an uprising, you can call up that local leader. Hey, is this normal? Yeah, it's normal. Okay, and you just got a new missionary who's going through the typical adjustment period there. So having people with experience on the field is worth its weight in gold. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I sure would. Uh, you've got. I'll, I'll. Okay, let me put it this way here. <laughs> These guys are laughing. This is dipping my toe in venom. Uh, you got GSI and, uh, uh, come on, uh, RTIM downstairs, uh, great agencies. Um, yeah, new, Ethnos 360, great agency. Okay, missiologically sound. Okay, their principles, they are using what we have come to cur- uh, call historic methods. Okay, uh, they have all very clearly not embraced the new methods. Uh, outside of that, uh, there are pockets within uh, some of the organizations, some of the organizations have been completely taken over by these things. And uh, that's up to you guys as a local church if you want to send somebody or continue to support them inside these organizations that have been completely taken over. Then you have a lot of organizations who have pockets that are using historic methods. You will have to have a conversation with uh, people. If they're serving with uh, RTIM, if they're serving with uh, E360, if they're serving with GSI, you can have all confidence that leadership over them would not allow those things. Outside of those, you guys will need to press in and ask awkward questions. And you will feel very, very awkward because uh, mission agencies are very good at talking, double talk, and you have to get awkward. And it's it's not fun. Okay. So, anyway, sir. Brad, does Emmanuel support missionaries that they did not send out and have authority over? Or does the support and authority sort of go hand in hand? At this point here, we cannot send out anybody that we haven't raised up. All of our missionaries have been raised up from our church. It's a big focus within our church. Yeah, we had over 10% of our population, of our membership serving overseas as career missionaries. Uh, We don't have to do short-term missions because we just have a continual pipeline. So the missionaries that go with you, are they just being sent by you? Like they don't get support from other churches? No, because, you know, unfortunately there are many, many churches that don't have anybody being sent out. So, uh, yeah, and they develop relationships. Our church has a population that moves around and they become part of another church. And um, honestly, when I was, <clears throat> and we have to tell this to, you know, missionary candidates all the time because they, they come and they're worried, what do I do for support? Um, as a missions pastor, when I uh, got the knock on the door and a guy comes in, uh, within five minutes, I could tell this guy's going to give it his best try, and that guy's going to give his life. And I'll always find the money for the guy that will give his life to get the gospel where it's never been before. There are so many of God's people. They understand the Great Commission. The finances are there, health, age. There's a variety of reasons they can't do it. But God's people are looking for that serious person who will give his life. You mentioned that churches should raise up a sending group of three to four people per missionary unit. What are the qualifications for someone to step into that sending group of three to four people? Who are you looking for and how do you train them? We really don't train them, except that they learn from other sending groups. We already have probably 20 sending groups in our church. And so they, they, they spend time with the other groups. You know, and it is up to the missionary to train the sending group there. And that's, I said, three or four couples. You know, two or three, three or four people might be a little bit too few. Because there is turnover and everything in Southern California. You just have to plan on turnover. Um, yeah. Uh, that they're a member of the church, okay? Uh, yeah, membership's the big thing in our church there. Uh, they've got a track record. I mean, obviously, there's maturity there. Uh, we're not looking for a bunch of college students who are going to be gone in three years. You know, but, 
Just, I mean, they don't have to be rocket scientists. Yeah. Just so I understand, so you're doing the sending groups within your publication, and you also, uh, the sending groups we have downstairs, you use them as well? The sending groups in our church are only support for that particular missionary couple. The sending agencies downstairs, they're the ones that put them through the legal stuff. Uh, they, sh they get them overseas. They have somebody to meet them at the airport, uh, get them into a language school. Th those guys there, we don't try to replicate what those sending agencies are doing. We can't do that. Not as a local church. And, and I don't, uh, there was a phase, of, I think maybe 15 years ago, uh, where really, really big churches tried to be the sending org. I never saw it work out well. I really didn't. You just can't. You don't have the expertise. You cannot keep track of a person unless you're living in that country and, and really know the pulse of what's going on there. So, sir. So you've got the awkward, awkward questions that cut through the double speed. What would be some examples? Oh, gosh. Uh, yes, we believe in church planning. Okay. Uh, every church or every organization believes in church planning. Yes, we believe in language fluency. Every organization believes in that. What are you doing to test it? Okay, and so that. What are the objective, you know, criteria for this person being fluent? Uh, how long are you? How many, you know, churches are you expecting uh, your missionary uh, to plant in a year? If they start talking about three or four churches, guys, you know, this is baloney. Okay, it's not a real church. Uh, and people that are expected to get, you know, are they sharing the gospel after two years? Well, okay, let's, let's back up here a little bit. Okay, so we're talking a lot about language fluency here. Um, at, as, at our church, our missionaries are going to learn two languages. They're going to learn Melanesian, which Brooks and I and a bunch of other guys had to do when we first got to New Guinea. And then they're going to learn the insider language. The first language, whether it's Melanesian, Cantonese, Urdu, Amal, Swahili, first languages are relatively easy. Because you have books, you have headphones, you have instructors, you have a controlled environment. The next languages, the insider languages, they will take two to three, four times as long to learn. Uh, so to expect them to be witnessing within five years with any degree of competency, not, not in the cards. And oftentimes these guys have to start a business too on top of it. Okay? So it's just much more complex than Paul going to Thessalonica, spending three weeks as if he did, and seeing a church there. Uh, and too often that metric is held up for missionaries. So. Anyway, those, those type of questions that, uh, yeah, you, you just have to push through the fog, you know. Yeah. yeah, there's an organization, the biggest one that is out there, and that they would tell their missionaries uh, that even those going to China, we expect you to be in ministry in two years. Well, they, that means they have to master Mandarin in two years. Yeah, right. And so, and these are sharp people, and they'd get, you know, nine, ten months into it, and they'd realize, there's no way. I still sound like a three-year-old. There's no way I'm going to be able to communicate the gospel. And you know what they do? They start mailing it in after about nine months, and, 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 and then they get into ministry. They get into the ministry, and they're talking at a four-, five-, six-year-old level. And they wonder, you know, why am I not seeing any response? Because they're only talking to the skin. They, they, they cannot talk to the worldview. Man, language fluency is critical. And to have an objective evaluation on those folks so you know they're fluent. And if they won't get fluent, that's reason to take them off the field. It really is. And so to, to have that laid out for your missionaries that you're sending out, you will get fluent. We're not so much concerned about how long it takes you. We are. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we uh, have to do with, with you know, purpose, uh, we teach our mis missionaries, uh, candidates, how to, how to fill out a time chart. And we measure every 15 minutes of their day. And then we encourage them, you train somebody in your home church to be able to look at your time chart. So that when you're overseas, somebody is evaluating where your time is going. If missionaries don't have time evaluations, man, what could be a three-year thing can turn into a six-year thing. Okay, and so the pressure needs to be on. You know, we're just human beings, and then you get out into some of these hot climates, and man, you just want to go, oh, turn into a mass of nothing. Uh, and so it's hard to stay uh, motivated. And having a home church that is looking at your time charts is really, really good because most agencies aren't going to do that. Okay. We good, ma'am. Uh, somebody on the yeah, somebody looking at the time charts. Uh, when they come home, legal issues, get in the car, you know, looking down the road. Um, sometimes our church has a missionary apartment. Some churches don't. Man, to go ahead of them, looking for an apartment, uh, looking at the age of their kids, as, as homeschooling, uh, wise. Do they, you know, just issues like that. Yeah. And sometimes when medical issues come up, man, your guys, you guys are going to be the ones that uh, the missionary on the field, he's calling you first, uh, looking for a doctor's appointment. Man, they've run out of medical help in the particular situation. So that many and varied. Okay. 
Uh, okay, mission policies and the local church, why they helpful? I think, you know, uh, without them, who qualifies to be sent gets really, really personal. Oh, my gosh, I, I think we've talked enough about this. But uh, I've got a friend. I've got an uncle. I've got a nephew. And, uh, boy, when you say no, if you don't have the policies to back you up, you better be ahead of that one there. Uh, it's really, really helpful. It brings all within the church together on what the goals of are of that local church. Everybody understands this is how we do missions at our church. And uh, Nathan, who's not here, he's out there playing piano. Uh, two weeks ago, he had, uh, uh, gosh, he had about 30 minutes. And, and then there was a message after that. Walking our church, this is how we're doing missions. Because like many churches here, uh, we have a new influx of people every couple of years. And so we have to continue to educate the new folks. And people like knowing that, man, we are thinking really critically about how we use our dollars. And we're not supporting a lot of good people that are doing good things, but they're not in line. If you, And again, the thing I was forced into... People, passionate, wonderful people coming into me with their passion. Nothing wrong with your passion, but this is what our church is doing. Can you get behind this church and what we're doing? If you can't, God bless you. Have a wonderful life in ministry, but we're not becoming all things to all men in the realm of missions. Helps potential missionary candidates to know beforehand what type of focus the church has and what type of people that church will be sending. So it saves them the disappointment to, uh, man, I want to do something different, so go do it. God bless you. Yeah, clear policies lessen. They don't do away with the hurt, but it does lessen. Ineffective missionaries. Here we go. What do you do? Wow, this is a ever-present problem. A um, couple things to keep in mind. Be slow uh, with that label. Uh, Adoniram Judson didn't see a breakthrough for over 16 years. Okay. And uh, as, we, as we look at missionary criteria, faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. Is he faithful in learning the language and learning the culture and enduring the sacrifices? Is he faithful? Is he faithful? Does he know the word? When he gets fluent, will he be a capable, as we heard in two messages this morning, a clear communicator of the gospel? And that, Adonai was all that, and it still took 16 years. But, man, his sending churches could have all confidence. Man, when, that, when the Holy Spirit decides to break through this fog in Burma, it will happen there. Uh, don't split your church by acting hastily. Uh, well, yeah, I appreciate the guidance of my senior pastor. Uh, and he told me uh, when uh, we had a couple guys that they should have been taken off the field. He said, Brad, you have no idea how many people quietly support them. Maybe not financially, but they have a big, they have a big footprint in our church. Grandfather people in. You know, when, when your church develops these policies and really gets deliberate and strategic about it, just quietly grandfather all the other ones in. Don't split your church over these new policies uh, unless it's a radical situation. Be sure you've done all you can to help the worker beforehand. Okay, yeah. And uh, contact local field leadership to confirm or not your concerns. Um, I would say all these policies uh, can give you good guidance, except uh, if a missionary really doesn't fit your criteria. A couple of things that uh, really that you will probably have to step into. Uh, if a missionary uses methods that aren't biblical, and again, guys, this is a sad discovery for many. Um, oftentimes, these missionaries, have been, you know, I'll put it this way, if they were on the field 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, they're probably using historic methods. If they've only gotten to the field in the last 15, 20, 15 years, there's a very high likelihood that they are using new methods. Uh, we'll talk about this tomorrow. But uh, when we, the, the idea of radius came about, uh, we went around to many of the agencies and we, and we talked about, man, we're going to have a 10-month tro training program uh, to get your candidates ready uh, skill set-wise so that they can actually do the job. We're going to teach them phonetics, phonemics, linguistics, applied anthropology. Uh, we're going to teach them Bible translation, literacy, uh, all the skill sets that missionaries need to have to go into pioneer situations. So they literally told us, man, you're crazy. Man, this, stuff, this generation can't even spell, uh, you know, you know, uh, Yes, what's the term I'm looking for? Commitment. They can't spell commitment. You're not going to get anybody to stay longer than five years, and they're definitely not going to submit to a 10-month training program. And, uh, and so the bar of expectations in the agencies is really low, and this is where many of the new methods came up. We've got to do it faster. We've got to do it faster. And I think Brooks and uh, the other guy were alluding to that this morning. Um, he will not. He refuses to attain fluency. I've been in ministry now for 10 years or longer, have you done an actful test? And he's working in Turkey, let's say. Well, Turkish is a, is a very mainline language. Will he take an actful, A-C-T-F-L? Will he take an actful test? That's a very, uh, um, it's, it's a language test that's, uh, 
Um, yeah, it's not subjective. It's objective, okay, and uh, done by unsafe people. And it's, it's a phone conversation you have, and they take you from an easy level to an increasingly difficult level, and they'll tell you where you're at with Turkish or any other language, any of the mainline languages. If your missionaries won't submit to an actual scale uh, test, uh, and if they will not get back into language study, they're probably not giving out the gospel. They're doing something else. And I'm sure they've got a lot of friends and people that like them, but they're probably not giving out the gospel if they can't speak fluently. Hard to get the gospel right, easy to get it wrong. And good people proclaiming a wrong message happens all the time. Uh, if he's moved toward doctrinal her heresy personally, that's pretty rare. Uh, children are so out of control. Uh, we have an issue in our church right now. Children, uh, one couple, they're so out of control, they're having to come home. Uh, we put a lot of time into parenting uh, down at Radius. Man, broke my heart to see so many people uh, where their, their kids got into um, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old uh, age. And uh, mom and dad had gotten to the point of fluency. Their, ministry, their ability to do ministry was great, but their kids were undermining the gospel. And uh, they had no choice but to come home. And, uh, yeah, that was heartbreaking. Uh, and making sure when they're on furlough, are their kids in control? That's a church job to vet. Because once they get through radius, and most of the kids down there, they're young. They're babies. You know, they're fetuses. You know? uh, it's hard to see a parenting style when the kids are like a, a, a month. You know? uh, but when they come home on furlough, somebody in that uh, group needs to be putting a good eye on. Is their parenting going to keep them going the distance? Because what a waste for them to be on the field 12 years at a point of real good ministry, and their kids are taking them off the field. It happens way too often. Yeah, or they will not take guidance from their sending church. They begin to look to the agencies, and uh, the agencies uh, don't give a lot of guidance, okay? And they will all give lip service. I shouldn't say that. They will all acquiesce to the term. Uh, yeah, the, the, the church is the final authority. The church is the final authority, and yet you see agencies moving people around all the time uh, without getting the blessing of the local church, the permission of. So uh, these are things to keep in mind. Uh, always, always go slow, and keep in mind, these are godly people. These are not evil people, uh, but the missions world is is in uh, somewhat of a mess. How would your church handle a situation where local field leadership is saying the missionary is infected, but then all your guys' conversations with the missionary is they are doing the right things, like where there seems to be a breakdown there between local field leadership and missionary? Local, local field leadership is affirming them, but people from your church who have seen them in action are not... Opposite. Local field leadership is not affirming. People from your church who are hearing and seeing them are affirming. I'm going to typically I'm going to typically go with the local leadership on the field because they can speak the language, they know the culture. Um, it's too easy to get faked out. When I was a missionary on the field, especially man, after we were in language study for a year and a half, and the pilot would, would come in, and uh, man, I could fake him out so easy. And I, I sounded so fluent in the Teddy language. I knew that I was saying, see the pig, hit the pig, cut the pig, you know, kill the pig. Yeah. Just five different ways and five different tenses. But wow, it really sounds good. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to make a good evaluation if you're not there really knowing the dynamics. And I, I'm surprised you put it in that terms because usually you'll find agencies wanting to keep the people, keep the people because of a variety of reasons uh, that the agency is saying, you know, hey, uh, we don't think he should be here. That's, that sends out a loud gong to me. That's my, my take on the field. Yeah, because, you know, as a field leader, man, I want to work with people too, but when they got to the point that they, they got to be home, Boy, you want to listen to that voice. And missionaries are, you know, I don't want to put missionaries down. You know, I am one. But uh, they can be like our four- and five-year-old kids. They can play mom against dad. And they, they play the agency versus the home church, you know, on a pretty regular basis, you know, because they're the only ones that's privy to the whole conversation. So just be careful of that. I mean, come on. You, you love your missionary. You don't want to throw them under the bus. But uh, just be, be careful. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, how does the local church see missionaries raised up? Uh, and this is a real common question. Okay, I'll just you know, say it. It is difficult. If the senior pastor isn't backing this idea, hearing validation from the pulpit is just critical. Uh, he doesn't have to beat it every week, of course, even every other week. But he's got to be mentioning it. And there needs to be serious time. There needs to be validation uh, across the board. Uh, having a missions committee that knows what to do with an individual is also critical. I was at a church uh, just this last spring and uh, got done doing a class there. And uh, four really capable people came up to me. And, uh, yeah, okay, 
how do we do this? And, uh, you know, in the course of the, you know, the, the weekend, I, I went to the senior leadership. You, you know, you got him, him, her, and her uh, that are ready to do this. And they're all you know, career people out of college, uh, just seemingly to be sharp. Says, yeah, we're, we're working through our policies. We're working through our policies. And the guys get ahead of this. Uh, I would doubt if they take more than a few months to work through their policies that any of those four. Man, you want to strike while the iron's hard. You don't, you don't want to be. Uh, it's not all about that guy's particular inertia. He better be able to have a vision and keep a vision. But, uh, man, churches that are just pedantic in this thing, just going so slow, they wear the potential missionary down because the church hasn't put enough thought into this. What are we going to do? Think it's, What are we going to do if we have one of our post-college you know, career guys who knows our church, loves our church, he seems solid, he's doing life well here in our community. If he approaches us now, what would we do? Man, that, you want to be ready with that one, guys. Uh, knowing how to vet is a must-be. Uh, at Radius, we do a lot of vetting, but we really rely a lot on the local church vetting the person. Man, um, knowing how to do that, some of the things that go into vetting, uh, yeah, Acts uh, thir- you know, 13 being preemptive is still possible. I haven't really heard that much about it. But vet- I just want to go back to, do you guys know what I mean by vetting? Okay. Yeah, uh, he's not emotionally up and down. Uh, he, he, he brings emotional resources to the problem, okay? He's not, he doesn't drain people. Uh, everybody has a past, but he's not a victim. He's not a survivor. He hasn't bought into the philosophy of the age here where we're all wounded. Uh, he's learned to overcome. His identity is firmly in Christ. Uh, these are things that you know, we're trying to ascertain via paper, you know, applications. You know, just sometimes people hide those things. And, uh, man, local church is vetting them. Uh, not that people can't grow past that, but best to grow past that. Uh, the course that if they come to Radius, it's a high-stress course. We're, we're not shy about that. And if, if, they, if they are seen as, well, I'm, I'm wounded, I'm still recovering, what are you here for? What are you here for? You know, yeah, recover, but go back to your local church and recover. And then come here when you're emotionally whole, ready to give resources, not needing, needing, needing. Uh, that, that's a big part of vetting, guys. And then the age we live in with the victim mentality, everybody is, uh, man, get ahead of that one. And so you might look like the Darth Vader of the missions committee as you, you know, have these conversations. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so be it. Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, sharp. You know, it doesn't need to be the sharpest person in your church. But sharp enough to learn two languages. Does he have some discipline? You know, I mean, if, if that's just not a part of his DNA, uh, that's really tough. Really, really tough. Uh, you know, people that don't have what I, I call it a motor, uh, sometimes they can do it. Okay, but it sure helps if a person has a motor and what when they get focused, they apply themselves. Man, things happen. That type of a person. And guys, as, as leadership in your church, uh, look around your congregation for those guys. Drop the idea in their head. Man, sometimes these guys are looking, like Brooks said this morning, they're looking for a call. You might be it. Man, you've surveyed the whole congregation here. And you, man, you and you, you two and you two, man, would you consider doing this? Man, we'd be honored to support you. And when your church knows that you're deliberate about this, and man, they see, yeah, these guys are exceptional people. The money's not going to be there. It makes sense to the rank and file. Don't let the finances end of it well, work you over too much. High school, college, career group leaders are key in this area. They are absolutely key. And I want to put this caveat in there. Uh, too oftentimes, high school and college leaders are not old enough to have done this themselves. They've not done pioneer missionary work, and so they feel reticent in the sense that they don't have the You're asking me to do this? You didn't do it. And I totally get that. But they've got to get beyond that. They've got to get, they cannot be limited by their lack of, uh, you know, credibility in that area. And I'm grateful, we're all grateful that Paul spoke out marriage. <laughs> yeah, being an unmarried guy. Spoke about parenting, too. You had no kids. Uh, Paul stepped into arenas that he didn't have firsthand credibility. And so may you guys, working with college and career people, uh, step into these things. When you see a person that's capable of doing this, don't let your lack of having done it. And I'm so grateful for a youth pastor. He was never a missionary, uh, but he sure didn't mind pushing us uh, to leave our home. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And again, as when I go around to different churches and I see people that, you know, like these four people, I'm always, my first step is always, and you'll hear me tomorrow, uh, you go to your local leadership first. You go to your local leadership. I get accused a lot of saying everybody ought to be overseas. I don't believe that for a minute, but I do believe everybody should be stepping forward and talking to their local leadership. I've seen what Jesus said in Matthew 28, in Luke 24, in Mark 10, and I've seen it. Here I am. Am I the guy? Man, your, your, local, your church leadership ought to be inundated with people 
How can I get around this? Now, if you're not healthy enough to do it, we get that. And if you're 45, you're not going to be a pioneer missionary. Uh, but, man, I, I do believe too many people in their 40s and 50s, they kind of have a guilt thing going on about missions. Why didn't I do it? Why didn't I do it? Save yourself the guilt. 25 years, save yourself the guilt. Step forward and, and let your local church w- walk with you in that, in that huge decision in life. And, you know, they know you, you know, and they may know the, the marriage issues you have and you're, you're out of the contest in that sense. Okay, uh, I'm trying to get through this. We've got a couple important things. What is the difference between missions and the Great Commission? Um, huge difference, guys. Huge difference. Uh, at the current rate that we're doing missions, we could do missions for another thousand years and not complete the Great Commission. As Burke said this morning, we're sending out more missionaries than ever before, but we're not being deliberate about it. We're not thinking critically about it. So we keep sending them to languages that already have access to the gospel. The Great Commission is summarized. We're not going to walk through all, all the passages, but getting the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. That is what we see in Revelation 5, 9 and Revelation 7, 9. And so that's where your missionaries, your frontline missionaries, they are focusing on two languages. The one so they can live in the country. The next one so they can go where the gospel's never been before, as we see Paul talking about in Romans 15, 20. Building on no man's foundation. We can't take all of our guidance from Paul because he didn't need to learn language. He didn't need to get a visa. He didn't need to do a lot of things. A different day and age, but when we can follow Paul, we do follow Paul. And that, that pioneering spirit to take it where it's never been before, that's what you're looking for. And I believe we have people like that even this, these couple days here with us like that. And for you guys within your churches, and your whole church isn't here, but you have to look out for those type of people that can rise to the challenge. And it's not going to be their strength of character that gets them through. It's going to be them clinging to the Lord and his promises. But they do need to have character. And as we say down at Radius, and this is, you know, statistics are fungible, but, uh, you know, 40% of church planning is about the skill sets, the phonetics, the phonemics, you know, the competency, the communication. But overwhelmingly, it's about character. Will you stay? Will you stay? Will you stay? And you guys know the people in your church. You've seen that in many other realms. Those are the guys you want to look for. Okay. Yeah, why is this important? Uh, yeah, again, if we're going to complete the Great Commission, man, it is, it's absolutely critical that we make tough decisions. Uh, again, grandfather everything in, but from this time forward, we are focusing on this thing. Man, this is the thing that Christ left us behind to do. That doesn't alleviate me needing to be a father and a husband and all those other things. And we're not saying negate everything else. But, if, yeah, we've got to get focused on this. How do you, yeah. Yeah, how do you move forward from generic missions toward a more focused approach? Uh, how do you balance? You do that slowly, guys. Uh, you have you know, discussions at the senior leadership level, and then you bring it down to the church. This is, what, this is where we're going, guys. And uh, hopefully people will buy into it because you can biblically make the case. Don't try to present it with your philosophy. It's a biblical case that you're making there. And how do you balance God-honoring ministries and Great Commission missions? And, and yeah, come on, the widows and orphans, uh, they got it in there too. But they're ministries of the church. They are ministries of the church, and we're no longer just going to mush everything into the missions budget there. <clears throat> I've been in too many churches. Uh, they don't have one cross-cultural pioneer missionary there. And they've got budgets in the hundreds of thousands. Guys are not doing missions. They're doing a lot of ministries, and they're all good. But we can't keep going the way that we're doing. Okay, how much financial support should the church, local church? Uh, we could uh, talk the whole day about that one there. Um, yeah. Factor, size of the church, you know, there's, there's so many discussions to be had on this. These are some of the factors I put up there. You can mark them down if you want to. That is not a comprehensive list. Every church figures it out to do it differently. You do need to uh, take into account, uh, hopefully your church is going to have more missionaries and more missionaries. And, uh, and what your church gives budget-wise to them, then uh, you'll have to figure this out as far as like how much uh, do you allow them access to your uh, church population? Because there will be individuals in the church that want to support them individually, too. So that's another source of income. Uh, missionaries very rarely get the pulpit anymore. Uh, getting into small groups, okay, that's a much better way for them to uh, get their reputation, their name, their, their ministry out there. So encourage them uh, with your small group leader to get them into those things. Yeah, short-term, long-term, uh, we just don't have the money to do any short-term. We just don't. Uh, we've got a lot going on long-term. Okay, it's important to know uh, the method your missionary is using. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, this is in your packet. Guys, this is, I've been waiting for this book to come out uh, for 15 years, honestly. Uh, no Shortcut to Success, a Manifesto for Modern Missions, uh, Matt Rhodes. Um, it, will, it will give you not just the, the minutia, the nuts and bolts. It will give you the bigger picture. What is going on in missions? And it is a sea change happening. 
and uh, the terms that you need to get familiar with, DMM, CPM, uh, OBD, uh, Man of Peace. So you're going to be hearing missionaries talk about those things as magic bullets, okay? And I, the, we do not have time in this uh, short session here to unpack all those things. But you better get familiar with all those things. Uh, the first semester uh, that our candidates, our students come down, uh, they're uh, taught all those things because they're going to be going into organizations that are practicing all these methods. And they need to be able to love those people, work with them, enjoy field conferences with them, and yet still practice historic methods. And it can be done if they know the difference. So that's part of our job and training them and part of your job as being missions committee people. Another resource <clears throat> that I'm stoked, uh, Matt, uh, Matt and Luke uh, finally brought this thing to fruition here. Uh, this is called the, the, come on, the, the missions course. And uh, at, at Radius, we've been hoping to see this happen for about five years now, maybe four, uh, because uh, perspectives, I still teach perspectives classes, uh, but it has moved further and further and further away from historic methods. This is historic methods. It is a six-week course versus a 15-week course. So Matt and Luke, just raise your hands over here. Barry, Barry's around here. Yeah, these three guys are the ones who came up with this. It is a six-week intense but very doable course for your church uh, to get a nucleus of people for, for the rank and file who love the Lord, they love his word, they want to see the great commission accomplished, seek these men out afterwards. They have this and they'd love to talk to you and uh, give you more details in uh, this short time here at Lausford. This is just the, the missions course. The missions course, yeah, pretty basic. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, they'll stick around. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, historic methods are not being taught, uh, honestly. Uh, yeah, except for and, and, and GSI and um, RTIM do not teach. They get their uh, they get the, their students out of radius. Okay, E three sixty does teach historic methods. Those are the only two agencies that are teaching historic methods, and I mean this in all sincerity. Uh, good agencies have stepped away from them, okay, and they have embraced this other stuff. DMM, CPM, and, and Four Fields, that's the new one, uh, because DMM got highlighted, put under the bright lights, and so uh, IMB has now uh, changed it to uh, Four Fields, and if you look at it, it's just a, a revised version of DMM, uh, similar terminology. Uh, yeah, <laughs> getting away from historic methods has been a gigantic sea change in missions, and this will really, really help you out to understand how that happened. Okay, we actually got any questions? We've got four minutes here. Sir. And the last thing you said, is that not a good thing or is it a good thing that it's stepped away from historic methods? No, it's a, it's a tragic thing. Historic methods meant, uh, again, because we don't have an example of Paul learning language that has been misread as, well, Paul didn't put a big priority on that. Man, Paul, man, he's praying for clarity of the gospel, clarity in his message all the time. He did know those. He learned those things before he got into the ministry. Uh, man, today you look for a man of peace, okay? And the man of peace becomes your go-between. And the man of peace, so long as you have a friendship and some trust level in the man of peace, you can offload to him the, the, the responsibility, whether he's a believer or not. You can offload to him the responsibility of teaching this group of people that speak a total language that you don't know because you have high confidence in him. This is a radical departure uh, from historic methods. And, you know, Brooks was talking about this th this morning, and uh, so was uh, Costi. Man, pre the preaching of the word, the preaching of the word. The current idea has been that North American missionaries or outside missionaries of any nationality are so oppressive, you cannot preach the word without imposing your culture. You can if you know the culture that you're working with. If, if you're there long enough, it takes time. It takes time. But it's got to be done. Yeah. One follow-up real quick, sorry. Uh, so if you're a young church, you want to move into missions, you want to have a mission board, is there not just qualifications, but you know, if you have some solid people in mind, is there a preparation method or something that you would uh, recommend to read or as a book? Yeah, there's a list of books I could read. Again, I would put this at the top of the list. Let, is, is the person a reader? You know, that's got to be part of their criteria, your criteria. And uh, is he spiritually mature? You know, the basic things that you think about for a person leading a new endeavor in your church. Is he a good communicator? Will younger people approach him? That's helpful. Just to follow up on that, if you're a part of the young church, you already have people who are interested in missions. How do you kind of um, keep them, keep that appetite fresh, but also develop your mission policy in a mature way? 
I would, I would say be careful of perfectionism. Okay, let your missions policies develop over the years. Okay, get something out there that you have some degree of confidence in and get that person moving. Okay, not too quickly. Vet them, love them, make sure they're character-wise somebody that you want to support long-term. But let your policies develop as, you, as gaps occur. And uh, again, get that missions course going for your church. So there's a church-wide embrace of, man, we're sending this person off to get trained. And this is why, because we get it. And this course will really help you. Sir. Uh, you're focusing on the people that go to the people groups that have the unique languages, things like that. Do you also give encouragement to churches that are supporting, say, implement uh, more uh, easier to reach? Or like, like, say, just Spanish in Southern America, uh, sending people there rather than a unique place that has never had live translation, things like that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's hard for me to speak to that one, obviously. I appreciate any ministry done in any language, whether it's South America, Japan, you know, has access to, the, you know, European countries, you know, man, these guys are God-loving people. Uh, I personally feel, and I feel like our church is at the same point, we don't, have, we don't have the resources to do everything we'd like to do. We've got to get the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And after that, flood India with missionaries, flood South America with Indians. But let's take first things first. And I think because we haven't taken first things first, we're making very little progress in the Great Commission. Because it's easy for the one to swallow up the other. Learning two languages is difficult. It's not just the remoteness, but it's just hard. It's just a lot of hard work. And so people will gravitate back to languages that are easier to get than Spanish is. All right, I'm done. Uh, this is over. Look. Take it. So, uh, Brad was kind to shout out the missions course. Uh, just 60 seconds on it. I mean, if I put you in a room today of 100 American churchgoers, about the size of this room, and uh, you ask the room the question, do you know what the Great Commission is? How many of them do you think would say yes? All of them? I wish. 17. Five years ago, uh, Barna Group did a study, and they asked that exact question. 17% of American churchgoers, or one in six American churchgoers, knows of the Great Commission. And that's a tragedy for us. So what we wanted to do is not say we have the end-all, be-all solution, but we wanted to come alongside local churches, local pastors, and say, hey, we have a course that's only six weeks. That's for everyone in your church, the layperson, the person who knows nothing about missions, to sit through it, walk through it, learn about uh, what Scripture says about God's heart for the nations and how they can play a part in it even if they never change their geography. We hope some people do. Some people do change their geography. They take the gospel to places that have little or no access to the gospel. But there's a role for everyone to play in your local church. The Great Commission is for every believer in every age and every stage. And we want to introduce people to what that actually looks like by partnering with you, the local church, to give them categories for that. Uh, so we have the course available for churches to... Uh, we coordinate for live instructors to come out. Uh, Brad and, and Brooks, the two of our instructors, among others. Um, and we can also play videos. If your church can get a smaller group, maybe can't afford uh, to fund for uh, people to come out and speak, you can play some really high-quality videos. If you want to learn more, we'll be here. Come up and talk to us. We'd love to get in your church. Great. Thanks, Luke. All right. Thanks for being here.